Today on Batwatch, everyone wonders who the mysterious Batwoman could be. Batman's new partner, Batgirl grown up. We ask Police Commissioner Gordon. All I can tell you is that she's not affiliated with Batman. Otherwise, I have no comment. Detective Ford, Harvey. I think we got more than enough bat freaks and got them already. I mean, sheesh, what's next? Bat hound? Welcome back to Geek Explain, the podcast for comics, film, TV, and more. You name it, we explain it. I'm your host, Eric Kazana, and today's episode is all about Batwoman. Now, for those of you who don't know, recently it was announced that Batwoman will be joining the DCCW Arrowverse. It's a huge deal. She is the first character from the, I guess, the greater Bat family to make an appearance in the CW universe. For a while, we weren't sure if anyone was going to show up from the, uh, from I guess, the big comic properties, because with all the different people running the different departments at Warner Brothers and at DC, they really have tried to keep both the film and TV universes separate both in how they are presented, both in the casting. Uh, you see multiple flashes. Um, you've seen different castings for different people. You've seen multiple death strokes as well. So it's kind of an exciting time because they've announced that Batwoman, who is a huge, huge character, will be joining the DC CW universe. Uh, we will be getting into that. Man, it's it's super exciting. So I just wanted to put together an episode to let you all know if you're not on the up and up when it comes to Batwoman, listen to this episode. It's going to give you everything and anything that you're going to need to know before she appears in the DCCW universe. So we're going to go over her publishing origin. We're going to go over uh, other women who have held the Batwoman title. We're going to go over the full history of this iteration of Batwoman. And at the end of the episode, I'm also going to do a couple predictions for what they might do. Um, I'm going to go through uh, my top picks for who I think could and should play Batwoman. And this is also kind of an exciting episode for me because uh, if you weren't aware, I put up a poll to discuss uh, whether we should talk about Batwoman or we should talk about Mysterio because there is another big uh, casting announcement involving uh, Mysterio for Spider-Man 2. And so I put up a poll from uh, from the Geeksplain page as well as uh, my own personal page, both on Facebook and Twitter to find out which character you guys are more interested in listening to. And... After looking at both polls, uh, both on Twitter and on Facebook, I decided we are just going to jump into both because uh, there was a huge groundswell of support for Batwoman on Twitter, but then Mysterio won out on Facebook. So it's, uh, it's exciting, and thank you so much to everyone who participated in the poll. I really appreciate it. 
Uh, we will be getting to uh, Mysterio next week because I figured if there's going to be enough people who want to listen to an episode about Mysterio, then we might as well do both. So you'll get Batwoman this week, you'll get Mysterio next week. So again, thank you so much for participating in the poll, for making your voice heard, and I'm looking forward to hopefully doing more polls in the future. So sit back, relax, as we Geeksplain Batwoman. So as comic book heroes typically go, Batwoman has an interesting history, both on the page and off the page. Uh, She's been the product of multiple creators, and you will really get to see just how many people kind of came together to put her together and to bring her to life. So Catherine Rebecca Kate Kane was created by Jeff Johns, Grant Morrison, Greg Rucka, and Mark Wade. Now, if that is not an all-star team of comic book creators, I don't know what is. They created her as part of a limited series called 52, which we will get into a little bit later. Now, almost as interesting as having four of the top comics creators uh, in the industry to create the basis for the character is what really went into creating her costume. Now, her costume, for those of you who don't know, uh, involves a long red wig that she uses to hide her identity, a large, almost uh, cowl-like black mask, which differentiates her from uh, Batgirl, and also the rest of her costume is essentially black with red accents, including a red bat symbol, kind of similar to Batman Beyond. Now, the original basis for her costume came from creators Alex Ross, legendary, legendary comics artist, and Paul Dini, who is the creative mind behind a lot of people's favorite characters, including uh Harley Quinn, he was one of the driving forces behind Batman the Animated Series. I'm a huge fan of that. It happened since I was a kid. And the two of them came together around 1999, 2000-ish, and wanted to bring Batgirl back to uh, prominence in comic, uh, kind of the comic mainstream space at that time. At that point, the killing joke had happened and Barbara Gordon had been crippled and paralyzed and had been forced to kind of give up the uh, cape and tights life, though she had transitioned into becoming Oracle, who was an amazing, amazing jump for her to make and overall kind of raised her status quo and her value in the greater uh, DC universe. Now, she essentially became the hacker-slash-information broker for every hero on the planet, and she was elevated to a point where even the Justice League was relying on her for information. Now, around uh, the turn of the the millennium, Alex Ross and Paul Dini wanted to bring bring her back and basically cure her of her paralysis and bring her back into being Batgirl. Now, I don't really think that 
at the time it was a good idea. I still don't. Uh, recently, as according to uh, the New 52, they kind of brought her back and made her Batgirl again. And I think that diminishes her character a little bit because her being Oracle was such a huge step for the character, as well as representation of handicapped heroes. Basically, the idea that you don't have to just be at the peak of physical performance to be a hero. You can also be in a wheelchair. You can have physical disabilities and still contribute to the overarching uh, heroics that DC is known for. But anyway, so with this um, revamp to bring Batgirl back along with their pitch, they designed a new Batgirl costume, which kind of did away with all of the yellow accents that we commonly associate with Barbara Gordon's Batgirl and made them red instead. Otherwise, it was your essentially your classic Batgirl costume, just with the red replacing the yellow. Now, at this point, DC agreed that Barbara Gordon should have a higher stake in the DC universe, but they really liked her as Oracle. They didn't like the idea of taking her out of the wheelchair and putting her back uh, in the cape and cowl. So they nixed that, and this design kind of went essentially back to the drawing board and tucked under a uh, <laughs> tucked in a file cabinet for seven years. So around 2006, the design was brought back because during this company-wide crossover called 52, the creators in charge at that point wanted to bring a new Batwoman into the fray. They didn't want her to be anything like the original Batwoman. They didn't want her to be Batgirl. They didn't want her to be really connected to any other Bat character in any way. And they wanted to design this character in a way that she could kind of stand on her own. And at this point, they decided to bring back the design that they had kind of nixed for Batgirl and apply it to this new Batwoman character. And they, at the same time, decided to do away with the classic Batgirl cowl, instead opting for one that was a bit more Batman-esque, where it covers the nose, but it's still opened at the top for her luscious red hair to kind of spill out of. Now, Batwoman essentially made two first appearances. She appeared initially in issue number 7 of the maxi-series 52 in 2006, and debuted as Batwoman just four issues later in issue 11 in that same year. Now before we get into the history of Kate Kane, I think it's important to also shine a light on the Batwoman who came before her. Now when most people think of a quote-unquote Batwoman, they immediately jump to Batgirl. And the most famous Batgirl is Barbara Gordon. She debuted in 1967. Uh, she was part of a big initiative to kind of revamp the character of Batgirl, which had debuted just six years earlier as Betty Kane, the niece of the original Batwoman, Kathy Kane. Now, I know that gets a little uh, <laughs> uh, confusing with both of them essentially being named Catherine Kane. 
but the way that I kind of separate them is the original Batwoman was Kathy Kane, and the current Batwoman is Kate Kane. Now, Kathy Kane debuted in 1956, and she is she's essentially associated with everything that has to do with the Silver Age. She was really kind of part of this initiative to build a family around Batman, and to be honest, was created to offset a lot of the charges made by um, some critics of the Batman comics who alleged that Batman and Robin were in a homosexual relationship. Now, there's a lot to go there, and I'm not going to go there right now. Um, That might be the um, the topic for a future episode. Let me know if you'd be interested in hearing all about the uh, book Seduction of the Innocent, where one quote-unquote psychologist kind of turned public opinion against comics, but we'll set that aside for another day. <laughs> so Batwoman was a direct, I guess, um, consequence of these charges and was essentially created to be a love interest for Batman in the same way that just five years later, Betty Kane, the first Batgirl, would be created to be a love interest for Robin. Now, she made her debut, Kathy Kane, in Detective Comics number 233, and she was essentially everything that Batman was but feminine. Uh, Instead of having a utility belt, she had a utility purse, and all of her gadgets were disguised as, I guess, at that point, feminine products. Like, she had a a smoke bomb lipstick, she had different gadgets um, that were essentially disguised as, quote-unquote, womanly products that they're described as at that point. Now, she was a very popular character, but she was removed from almost all Bat books around 1964 because DC at that time had this initiative to kind of get rid of all of the Bat characters that they had accrued over the 1950s. This included Ace the Bat Hound, this included Batmite, this included Betty Kane, the first Batgirl, and once they were kind of taken out, you would see that a lot of the Silver Age kind of wackiness was also taken away from all the Bat books, and they moved towards a somewhat darker, somewhat grittier uh, way of storytelling, which I guess they didn't see as being able to exist alongside these characters that they had created. Now, When Barbara Gordon first debuted as Batgirl in 1967, she essentially took over all of the, I guess, uses narratively that Batwoman kind of filled. She was essentially set up as this, maybe she'll be a love interest for Batman, maybe she'll be a love interest for Robin, we don't know. Um, She filled kind of the quota of having a female superhero in the bat books at that time which at that point was kind of like a big thing and you really saw kathy kane essentially erased from uh, bat continuity now every so often for the next right around a decade 
she would make guest appearances, sometimes in the Batgirl title, sometimes as a guest character, as someone that Batman would talk to when he was feeling down, or any kind of small kind of bit parts, all the way up until 1979. In 1979, she was killed off by the League of Assassins. And at that point, it was like kind of a big deal because at that point, not a whole lot of Batman supporting characters had died. We hadn't seen the death of Jason Todd yet. And it was such a big deal that people at that point made a huge groundswell for Kathy Kane to come back. Now, at that point, of course, uh, DC kind of ignored this huge fan support that Kathy Kane had and elected to essentially keep her in the ground until Grant Morrison brought her back into modern continuity. Now, Grant Morrison is a very prolific comics creator. He's written some of the greatest comics that I've ever read. And he decided during the Batman Incorporated run to bring the idea of Kathy Kane back into modern comics because at this point, and this was, I mean, it had to have been uh, late 2000s, where she was starting to come back in flashbacks, in references. Uh, there's a whole part of Batman R.I.P., which was written, written by Grant Morrison, where they focus on Batman's escapades in the Silver Age with the Kathy Kane Batwoman. And later on, she was revealed as being alive and well in the Grayson comics of the New 52. And it was revealed that her death had been faked and she had, up until this point, been working as a secret agent slash assassin for the spy organization Spiral. Now, it was kind of a big deal to bring that character back, but at the same time, with her being part of Spiral and essentially now moving into the super spy role, it kind of paved the way for a new Batwoman to take the stage. And of course, that is where we get Kate Kane. Our neighbor's dog is very excited to talk about Batwoman. So Catherine Kate Kane was born to Gabby and Jacob Kane. Now, Jacob Kane is part of the greater Kane family when it comes to uh, Gotham lore, and is also the older brother of Martha Kane. Now, Martha Kane you might know because she later married Thomas Wayne. That's right. Kate Kane is Bruce's cousin on his mother's side. Now, Kate also had a twin sister named Beth and grew up with a military background. Her father, Jacob, was part of the Marines, and that meant that she spent a lot of time with her sister and her mother, but not a ton, not a ton of time with her father, who was often deployed or sent out into other military missions. Now, on their 12th birthday, both Kate, Beth, and their mother Gabby were taken hostage by armed gunmen who wanted to get a ransom for them. Now, 
upon hearing about this, their father, Jacob Kane, decided to launch a rescue attempt to save them. And while the rescue attempt was ultimately successful for Kate, unfortunately, her sister and her mother were both killed, which gave her extreme PTSD and kind of messed her up going forward. Now, Kate decided to attend the Military Academy West Point and was shocked when she found out that Jake had remarried to Catherine Hamilton, who was this big kind of like higher up socialite in Gotham. And at that point, essentially, she came into a lot of money through her stepmother. Now, while at West Point, uh, rumors began to stir that Kate was involved in a relationship with her female roommate. Now, at that point in the military, there was this whole idea of don't ask, don't tell. And Kate kind of stuck to that until she was asked point blank by her commanding officer on whether she was lesbian and deciding to be honest and upfront, Kate confirmed and said that she was indeed in a relationship with her roommate and was unfortunately dishonorably discharged because of it. Now, with her life kind of in shambles because she didn't really have a direction to go to, she came to Gotham and established this reputation as basically a, <laughs> a drunk rich socialite. Uh, she was notorious for drinking and partying, uh, getting tattoos, and driving drunk throughout the streets of Gotham after she would leave her parties. And one night, after drunkenly driving away from one of these parties, she was pulled over by none other than Renee Montoya, who is a really awesome character in the Batman and Greater Gotham myth mythos. She is one of the leading detectives in the uh, GCU, or GCPD, rather. And she's one of the people that Commissioner Gordon really relies on to get things done, as well as to cooperate with Batman whenever the GCPD has to work with him to solve one of the many crimes that uh, Gotham has to offer. And instead of charging Kate with a DUI, which would have been a responsible thing to do, if we're being honest here, uh, the two of them entered into a relationship, which lasted for a while until, of course, because every superhero origin has to have tragedy on tragedy, they broke up. Um, initially, Kate wanted to break up with Renee because Renee wasn't forthcoming to her parents about their relationship, and then Renee kind of lashed out back at Kate, saying that she had no direction in her life, she wasn't going to college, she wasn't trying to make her life any better than it was, and she just saw Kate in essentially a downward spiral. So, following this breakup... Kate proceeded to go to a bar and drink, and then on her way back to her car, she was assaulted by a mugger who wanted to, of course, take her keys, her money, and all of her valuable items. And using her military training, she was able to disarm the mugger, but because she was so plastered at that point, 
she was barely able to stand following fighting him off which almost let the mugger kind of have his way with her until batman intervened and this is where kate's life changes when batman runs the mugger off and helps kate to her feet he leaves and as he does kate's eyes get transfixed on the sky and on the bat signal and it's at this point that she has said in many many stories this was the point where she decided that she wanted to be a vigilante just like batman now originally it didn't quite start off that way uh she didn't just find this bat suit as soon as she wanted to be a vigilante and go screaming off into the night fighting crime she actually essentially followed a similar if not uh, abbreviated path that bruce wayne did himself where she initially used uh, stolen body armor and stolen weaponry to fight crime as kind of an amateur vigilante and this went on for a little while she wasn't very good at it until she was confronted by her dad jake who basically said the way that you're doing this isn't working let me help now kate decided to take him up on this offer and with his help she traveled around the world for two to three years basically training in all manners of fighting crime with all of jake's uh, military contacts around the world and after she completed all of her training and one final test in russia she returned to gotham and was gifted a bat suit and gadgets by her father now it wasn't very long after this where the events of the maxi series 52 happened where she was reunited with renee montoya now montoya at this point was uh, essentially investigating suspicious activity in a warehouse on kane street in kind of cooperating with the superhero vigilante the question now they hadn't really seen each other since their big breakup so it was super awkward and even though uh, Kate did confirm that the warehouse was owned by her family, she didn't really have anything else to say and wasn't really forthcoming on any kind of help that she would offer. Now, Renee and the question went off to this warehouse to essentially uh, continue their investigation, and Kate deciding to um, take it upon herself to investigate as well kind of tailed them in her first big outing as batwoman now she debuted in regards to the greater dc universe that night rescuing renee and the question from these shape-shifting monsters that were uh, essentially attacking them and from then on she kind of operated as a solo act essentially running into different members of the bat family different members of the kind of street level heroes all the way up until she meets Nightwing. Now, Nightwing is initially super skeptical of her as not just a hero, but as someone who could wear the bat symbol. But eventually, through working together, he comes around and he offers her an official batarang after she proved herself. And this is kind of like uh, <laughs> this is kind of like Nightwing's blessing, essentially, to say, "Hey, if you're ever in trouble, the Bat Family has your back." Now, 
later on, she was kidnapped by Innergang and almost killed, but was saved by Renee, which again brought them together and kind of began to spark the rekindling of their relationship. It was also around this time that she began her battle with the religion of crime, which was essentially this kind of like a congregation of criminals that followed something called the Crime Bible. And this organization was led by Whisper Adair, who was kind of obsessed with this idea that the uh, daughter of Cain will bring ruin to Gotham and tried on multiple occasions to sacrifice Batwoman to his crime gods. And through their battles, Batwoman was eventually able to defeat him and run him not just out of the organization, but also out of Gotham. However, with the defeat of Whisper Adair also came the disappearance of the Crime Bible. Now, this was another point when she would reunite with Renee again, while they were both hunting for it for different reasons. They both were able to find the Crime Bible, but struggled over which one would be able to keep it. And eventually, Renee admitted that the reason that she wanted the Crime Bible was to protect Kate. Now, whether or not this was true, or whether or not uh, Renee had ulterior motives, it was kind of sketchy at the time. But ultimately, Kate allowed Renee to keep the crime bible as to kind of shut the door on that chapter of her life the next time that she really uh, pops up is during the final crisis event which was this culmination of essentially everything that had been happening in the dc universe up to that point and there was a period where dark side had finally gotten control of the anti-life equation and in layman's terms essentially dark side hunts for the anti-life equation like thanos hunts for the infinity stones uh, the anti-life equation for dark side is going to give him unlimited power over the entire dc universe so final crisis is all about him kind of getting his hands on it and there is a period where he uses it to brainwash a great number of the DC heroes, including Batwoman. And you see, because I think the period where they're brainwashed is like at least like six months. And during this time, um, Batwoman is essentially brainwashed to become part of Darkseid's female furies. And the female furies are essentially his kill squad that are entirely women and are led by granny goodness who is nowhere near as nice as that name would suggest now of course through the efforts of both batman superman and the entire justice league uh, of course dark side was defeated the anti-life equation was lost once again and everyone was broken from their brainwashing unfortunately this also had the added side effect of batman sacrificing his life quote unquote to defeat Darkseid, and through Batman's death, Batwoman was essentially uh, recruited to join... Yep, we're talking about Batwoman joining the Bat family. Thank you, neighbor's dog. 
<laughs> uh, she was asked and recruited to join the network, which was basically this wider, I guess, network of all the heroes in Gotham to kind of keep order in the city while Batman is gone. Now, eventually, Dick Grayson steps up to the plate and takes the mantle of Batman for himself. And reluctantly so, he didn't really want to be Batman, but everyone kind of agrees that he's the best person to do it. And having that prior relationship with Nightwing helps with Batwoman kind of getting ingratiated into the wider uh, Bat family. And it's really kind of the perfect time for her to have this support system because the religion of crime resurfaces around this time with a new leader and this leader is named alice and it's kind of weird because like she spouts off a lot of alice's lines from the original alice in wonderland though they do this whole like shakedown and interrogation of the mad hatter and mad hatter is just like i've never met this person in my entire life i have no idea who she is and alice herself says that she has no relation to the Mad Hatter. Now, during this time, there is this directive from Alice to the religion of crime to kind of retake up the war with Batwoman. And at a certain point, she is mortally wounded and has to take time to recover. Now, during this time of recovery, she attends a charity ball for the uh, Gotham City Police Department, and this is where she meets Detective Maggie Sawyer. Now, if you know uh, any of the uh, DC TV shows on the CW, Maggie Sawyer features really prominently in Supergirl. So Maggie Sawyer is a really popular character. She's really kind of the... I would put her on the same level as Commissioner Gordon in that everyone kind of like knows her, knows how good she is. She's always willing to work with uh, metas and superheroes and really has her foothold in being one of the really great uh, ground level DC characters. So she meets Maggie, they begin a relationship and that relationship essentially kind of steamrolls into a bigger relationship down the line but all is not sunshine and rainbows as kate soon finds out that alice has kidnapped her father jake now on top of this uh aircraft they have their final battle where kate essentially defeats alice and as alice is about to fall off the side of this aircraft Kate goes to save her, grabs her hand, and Alice really ominously says, you have our father's eyes, and stabs Kate in the hand, which makes her drop Alice, and Alice falls seemingly to her death. And this is kind of the moment where Kate realizes that Alice was her sister Beth, that she was alive, that she had survived the whole ordeal when they were kids, and that Jake lied to her about her death. Now, she doesn't really get a whole lot of time to process this because she is thrust into this arc called Cry for Justice, where she interacts with the Justice League for really kind of the first time. And as a cool little side note, she was originally supposed to be on this new Justice League team at the time, and at this point, the Justice League was being led by 
Dick Grayson, the new Batman, and was kind of I I loved this kind of reimagining of the Justice League because it was essentially all of the Teen Titans essentially grown up and taking over the Justice League like they were kind of always meant to be. And I thought that the team itself was a little short-lived. I wish they had gotten more time and a little bit more room to grow. Now, originally, Batwoman was supposed to be on this Justice League team, but when Cry for Justice was shortened from a huge Justice League-level arc into a short miniseries, they decided to drop her and just have her feature in the story itself. Now, shortly after this, she is, again, kidnapped by cultists who want to sacrifice her. <laughs> this is kind of like a common theme with her, with the uh, the spiritual nature and dealing with a lot of um, kind of uh, otherworldly uh, figures and story plots. But essentially, these cultists are trying to sacrifice her, and they bring her to the last remaining Lazarus pit on Earth. Now, she is rescued at this point by Dick Grayson, Batman, and the British counterparts for Batman and Robin, known as Knight and Squire. Knight and Squire, as a side note, I love. They're just, they're hilarious. They're a great little uh, British parody while also being able to kind of stand on their own. And this was part of the big uh, Batman of All Nations storyline where Batman had kind of set up this, <laughs> this Justice League of Batman from all these different countries, and Knight and Squire were probably the most prominent of them. But anyway, so during, um, during this rescue, Dick Grayson kind of lets her know that, hey... We weren't just trying to rescue you, we also have an ulterior motive with this Lazarus pit. And he reveals to her his plan to put Bruce's corpse into the Lazarus pit to revive him. And immediately, immediately, Batwoman is not on board for this. She, she is basically telling the entire Bat family, like, am I the only person who doesn't think this is a good idea? And despite this, she is kind of left unheard and they do put bruce's corpse into lazarus pit now unbeknownst to them and most of the greater superhero community the corpse of batman that was retrieved at the end of final crisis was not batman at all but it was a clone created by darkseid long story it was it's really convoluted i would love love to do a final crisis episode at some point so let me know if you're interested in that but anyway, this clone being revived just goes insane and attacks everyone. And at the same point that this like zombie Batman is attacking them, the cultists return and they're like, you know, we're not done trying to sacrifice you. So they attack and it ends up with the cave housing the Lazarus pit collapsing in on everyone. And at this point... Batwoman is severely injured with multiple uh, injuries to her spine and her legs, essentially leaving her paralyzed. However, all hope is not lost because they are still near this Lazarus pit. So they put Kate into the Lazarus pit. It heals her injuries. She's all good. And it actually, it has a great, this, uh, this arc has a great little uh, scene right after this where Dick Grayson, who is kind of like her 
her contemporary, I would say they're around the same age. Kate might just be a little bit older. And Grayson kind of reveals, he's like, hey, you know, I've always kind of had a little, like, thing for you, just so you know. And for those who don't know, Dick Grayson is essentially, and I know this wording is weird, but I think everyone would kind of agree, Dick Grayson is kind of the biggest lady killer in all of DC Comics. He's the one who is always kind of hooking up with superheroines, and they're always commenting on, oh yeah, you know, Dick gets around a lot. So essentially he kind of tries his charm on her, and she very tactfully just tells him, trust me, I am not your type, and you are not my type. So that's just a funny thing for me. But um, following this, she essentially goes back into doing things on her own. Uh, She was a little disturbed by the attempt to resurrect Bruce, even though she really protested against it and she made it clear that she wasn't a fan. So she decided, you know, I'm going to take some time. I'm going to continue on my solo adventures. And this is when she runs into the serial killer Cutter. Now, Cutter is really just your poor man's Victor Zaz, but this arc for him was very important for Kate because during this storyline, Cutter kidnaps uh, Kate's cousin, Bet. Now, Bet is really not a huge DC Comics character, but she is very important to uh, the younger generation of uh, DC superheroes. Uh, She's very um, heavily featured at this point with the Teen Titans and is, of course, you know, the cousin to Batwoman. Now, during this point, while rescuing Bet, Kate reveals her identity to her cousin. And at the conclusion of this moment, Bet reveals to uh, Kate that she is also a costume crime fighter named Flamebird. And she is she reveals that she's part of the teen titans that she has also been fighting crime and she volunteers to be kate's sidekick now this leads directly into this storyline where kate begins investigating something called the weeping woman and at the same time though separately maggie sawyer begins investigating her as well if you'll remember they're in a relationship at this point so They're both researching and investigating these stories about this woman, this ghostly woman, who has been uh, kidnapping and drowning local kids in the Latino area. Now, at a certain point, when Kate goes to this boathouse where the Weeping Woman has been seen, she's attacked by the Weeping Woman and is almost drowned. She is traumatized by this and decides to stop training Bet, and basically says, you know, this is too big. I don't want to lose you, Um, of course, because she's a comics character and we have to have uh, emotional conflict. She doesn't really say it in the best way to Bet and basically just tells her, like, we're done. End of story. That's it. So Bet decides to go it alone and tries to find out anything she can about the Weeping Woman, but unfortunately is attacked by a hook-armed meta and is gutted and mortally wounded. Now, 
she is able to be rescued by a DEO agent. If you're familiar with the uh, Supergirl show, the DEO features kind of prominently. They're essentially like a CIA for aliens. Like they uh, they interact with a lot of uh, extraterrestrial and supernatural stuff that goes on in uh, the DC universe. But this uh, this agent, DEO agent Chase has been trying to find out Batman's, not Batman, uh, <laughs> sorry, Batwoman's identity. And he is the one that is on the scene when uh, Bet is brought into uh, the hospital to be taken care of. Now, he uses Bet and her injury to essentially discover what Kate's secret identity is because bet being in the hospital has to identify a next of kin and she says her cousin kate which chase basically connects the dots from there meanwhile uh batwoman discovers that the weeping woman is an actual ghost and that she was manipulated into kidnapping these kids by this shady organization called medusa and when she returns home, she finds that Agent Chase is waiting for her, and he recruits her into battling Medusa with the DEO. Now, Medusa is another one of these kind of shadowy organizations, kind of similar to the uh, religion of crime, and they are led by this egomaniac named Falchion. Now, with the help of the DEO... Batwoman battles and defeats Falchion and is able to kind of stop Medusa as an organization with the help of her DEO agents. And Falchion, at the end of the story, is betrayed by his second-in-command, Morrow, who kills Falchion and then escapes with the kidnapped victims. Now, following the conclusion of this, Kate promises and makes a vow that she is going to rescue these kids. But she doesn't get a whole lot of time to jump right into that because she is quickly recruited by Bruce to return to Gotham to help lead a new team of young heroes, including Red Robin, Spoiler, Cassandra Kane, and Clayface. Now, that'll bring you right up to speed to uh, DC Rebirth, where... Uh, she and Batman essentially lead this new group of heroes to try and uh, make Gotham a better place. And that's going to be in the pages of Detective Comics in uh, DC Rebirth. Pick that up. It's one of my favorite Bat anything runs in comics. Please do that. So that brings you all up to speed. And during this run of Detective Comics as well, we get a brand new Batwoman uh, solo series as well. So feel free to pick that up as well. And that about does it for her comics history. I don't want to spoil anything in that Detective Comics run. Pick it up, check it out, it's wonderful. However, we're not done with Kate Kane. Because as previously stated, Batwoman is officially coming to the Arrowverse. Uh, it was announced this past week that she is going to be kind of the focus for the big Arrowverse crossover. They do one every year, and this will be uh, debuting, I believe, in December is when the cro big crossover is going to happen. And she is officially going to make her debut. This was announced by Stephen Amell, which I think was um, not just tactful because he's kind of the 
person who spawned this whole uh, greater DC TV universe. But he was also the person in last season of Arrow to name drop Bruce Wayne. It was like this huge deal when it came up. I think he was uh, he was mayor at this point, and he was given or he was giving a uh, some kind of press conference where people are asking him like, you know, are you the Green Arrow? And he goes over and he's like, no one asks Bruce Wayne in Gotham if he's the Batman or something like along that that line and it was like whoa they're actually saying batman and like it was a huge deal originally when uh superman came to uh the cw supergirl show because it's been said multiple times by multiple people that dc has this directive to keep the uh cw tv universe and the movie universe kind of separate and they that includes their ips some characters uh the suicide squad was famously first debuted in the in arrow in the tv universe but were basically all killed off just so that when the movie came out there wouldn't be any confusion now i have a lot of thoughts on that but that is another topic for another day uh, for right now, we're talking about Batwoman, and now that she is going to be debuting, they've also said that Gotham will be featured for the first time, which is super exciting because we might get more Bat characters. Uh, we do know that uh, Robin slash Nightwing is going to be kind of the de facto leader of the new Titans show, and it's unclear how connected or disconnected the Titans show is going to be to the greater dc tv universe but they're both being helmed by greg berlanti so you never know now i have a lot of theories i have a lot of ideas on what they could do with batwoman i think a spinoff is definitely in the cards i think if people really enjoy what she brings to the table if her debut goes off without a hitch and people really seem to like her i think a spinoff is going to be a perfect kind of offset for the more um i guess light-hearted and i guess more kid-friendly supergirl which also features a female superhero lead because uh kate comes from a military background her stories are going to be a little bit darker uh you just had to if you listen to any of this podcast for the history, you know that she has a pretty dark backstory and like her stories deal with a lot of heavy topics. So I would be super jazzed about her getting a spinoff, but that's, we're getting a little ahead of ourselves. I'm getting a little ahead of myself. And the biggest question that a lot of people have is who's going to play her? So I compiled a list. I have, let me check my notes here. I have my top eight choices of who I think could play Kate Kane Batwoman. These are in no order. I just wrote them down as I got to them, and we will go ahead and jump right in. So my first pick out of this list is Phoebe Tonkin. Now, she is most well known for being in the originals which is essentially this uh vampire show on the cw so she already has the cw uh uh cred she's been a lead for them before in this show and she also has like an athletic background 
having to do multiple fight scenes across this show. And I will admit that I'm not someone who regularly watches it, but I did my research and checking out what she has to offer. And she seems like she has a really great range. She is unfortunately like on the lower end age wise. I kind of look at Batwoman if we are going to bring her to the CW as kind of a contemporary of Oliver and Stephen Amell is 37, I think. So I wanted to kind of make sure that she was kind of in that same age range, uh, mid to early thirties at the very lowest, uh, late twenties. And this is where kind of Phoebe Tonkin, uh, kind of sits cause she is 28 so she's a little bit on the younger side. However, she, playing a vampire, is able to convey a sense of, I guess, not like uh, seniority, but a sense of um, kind of an air of a maturity that you don't normally associate with people in their 20s. And I think she would do great. My second choice is Jamie Alexander. And for anyone who's listened to me fancast anything before this is not a surprise i want jamie alexander to play everything because i think she's a great actress and she has a kick-ass intensity about her that she brings to every role she's most well known as sif in the thor movies and also for starring on nbc's blind spot so she does have uh, leading tv cred and she also has superhero cred and with essentially Asgard kind of being killed off in Ragnarok and in Infinity War. Oh god. Um, spoilers for two movies which you should have already seen. You should have seen them but if you haven't, I'm sorry. So um, she's awesome. She's in that age range that I kind of want where she's 34 years old. She has like I said that kick-ass uh, cred. She's known for doing a lot of th- great physicality. A lot of people including myself uh, would have fan casted her as Wonder Woman and would have loved to see her take on that role but I think she would do a great job as Kate Kane. Now my third choice I'm really excited about because it's Yvonne Strahovski who is best known for Dexter, Chuck, and the way that I met her was in Mass Effect 2 and 3, where she played Miranda. Now, she has an interesting edge on some of the other actresses on this list because she's already played Batwoman. She voiced the character in the animated movie Batman Bad Blood, and while that wasn't the greatest Batman animated movie or really batman movie i've ever watched she really struck me as a uh, as a great voice for the character she has the intensity she has the kind of uh defiant qualities that batwoman innately has and i think just from her credits in both uh chuck and in dexter she has the emotional range as well as the physical uh, fight choreography background to really pull off what I call the uh, the CW fight choreography. So she's also 35, so she's in that really nice age range, and I think she would be a great contemporary for Oliver in the same way that uh, Sarah uh, was a great contemporary for him when she was kind of prominently featured in Arrow. Now, my next choice might surprise you, but it is uh, Carly, and I believe it, I'm going to pronounce this wrong, Chaikin, Carly Chaikin. 
and she is most well known for her role on Mr. Robot. Now, Carly Chaikin I'm probably the least familiar with because I really haven't gotten the opportunity to jump into Mr. Robot yet. I've been saving it. I'm going to binge it. I promise I will watch this, but I got a tip off from someone to check her out, and I think she would be a great uh, kind of young voice for an unsure Batwoman kind of at the beginning of her career. She's 28, just like Phoebe Tonkin, so she is on the younger end, but I would put her kind of in this kind of year one, year two uh, kind of uh, stage of her Bat career. And just from the clips that I've seen of her, she has that really nice, defiant, emotional range that Batwoman is known for. And she's also known for being a little bit flippant, which Batwoman most certainly is in all of her comics appearances. Now for the number five pick is Alexandra Breckenridge. Now she is most well known for American Horror Story, uh, Walking Dead, and most recently This Is Us. Now, Alexandra Breckenridge has a phenomenal emotional range. She also has this innate likability that you really need in a hero lead, especially for the scenes outside of costume, which the CW likes to focus a lot on. And I think having the likability factor for Alexandra Breckenridge really gives her a great, um, I guess, a, a great start to this character because when she comes in she has to of course she has to be a badass she has to be able to kick ass and take names but she also has to be able to be a character that we can see in a leading role who can uh, be the star of a show and i think alexander breckenridge through the shows that i've seen her in really deserves a shot at being a lead she is 36 which puts her at that perfect range and I overall, I just think that she is, she's a great actress and would do uh, justice to the character. Now, the next, next choice is really interesting. And initially, I didn't have her on my list, but I did a little bit of research on her, and I think she would be a kick-ass choice, and that is Emily Beecham from Into the Badlands. Uh, she has an extensive martial arts background. And if you haven't watched Into the Badlands do so. Watch it, if nothing else, for the fight choreography, because it's beautiful, and it flows, and it's just all around, it's great. And Emily Beecham has some great scenes as the character, the Widow. And if you're looking for comics accuracy, which I know I do a lot, and I know a lot of people do as well, she has the look. She has the red hair, she has kind of the lean fighter body, and with her martial arts background, I think that's going to help a lot with these fight scenes that she is, of course, going to have to do. And she also has a certain intensity in just her look that you need to kind of bring into any Bat character. My next pick is Bridget Reagan. I hope I said that right. Now, I was looking her up, and I didn't realize that she played Dottie Underwood on Agent Carter and I thought holy crap that is a great that is a great pick uh, she's also featured on Jane the Virgin and uh, The Last Ship she kicks so much ass and she was one of my favorite parts of the Agent Carter show uh, she has a 
comics cred being in the Marvel Universe already and being a successful member of the show. She was famously in that show a one of the early Black Widow operatives. And I think having that kind of as your basis is a great start. And I think that would be an awesome transition from her to go to uh, kind of a proto-Black Widow into Batwoman. And she... Of course, because of that, knows a lot of fight choreography. She's had to do it in the show. And just her just her look is really great. She's a great actress. She is 36, so she's in that perfect age range as well to be a contemporary for Oliver Queen. And I think she would be an awesome pick. Now, my final pick is Evan Rachel Wood. Uh, she was known best for True Blood across the universe, and she is killing it right now on Westworld. And Evan Rachel Wood has a powerful range. If you just watch, there's a there's a clip on YouTube from Westworld, another show I admittedly have not watched, but I watched this scene, and she she essentially she goes from hysterically crying into. Um, and to completely emotionless and the ability to jump from that as an actor is super super hard <laughs> so she's great she has experience obviously as a kick-ass lead in westworld and i've always liked her I, she was one of the standouts for me when i was really young and i first watched across the universe one of my favorite films of all time and i've been really wanting her to do more things and have more success in things and i think even though Westworld is probably taking up a lot of her time, when she's not there, she could be kicking ass as Batwoman with the other heroes of the uh, CW universe. Uh, she is 30, so she's a little on the low end, but she's still able to strike an imposing figure, and I think she would be an awesome pick to kind of do the Barry Allen thing in Arrow, where he first appeared as a guest star in season two of Arrow, and then that kind of escalated into getting his full series. So I think her appearing in the crossover and then getting her own series that she can really sink her teeth into would be a great uh, choice for her as well as for the bigwigs at DC and Warner Brothers. So those are my picks for uh, Batwoman, and I'm just I'm incredibly excited for the show, and I think it's really something that I am looking forward to. And that is our discussion on Batwoman, Kate Kane. Uh, hope you enjoyed it. I put a lot of time into uh, researching this. And thank you for those of you who voted for Batwoman. It was a, an interesting experience doing my first poll. And uh, for those of you who did vote for Mysterio, like I said, we will be doing him next week. I'm really excited to talk about him. The, uh, the possibilities for this casting news are endless so i will see you next week for that i'm really excited um for those of you who might be wondering i don't know if i'm gonna go see solo this weekend i'm really not interested in it to be honest with you uh i i really enjoy star wars uh but this this one i'm just not super excited about so i might end up seeing it i might not if i do i will let you guys know what i thought uh, but I wouldn't expect an extra review like I did for Deadpool anytime soon. But 
anyway, um, hope you enjoyed the episode on Batwoman. Uh, I hope you liked my picks for who could possibly play her as well. If there's someone who you think should play Batwoman, let me know. Feel free to reach out to me on Twitter at GeeksplainedPod. That's at GeeksplainedPod. On Twitter, definitely check us out. Uh, would love to have discussion with you guys on all things Batwoman, all things DC, and all things Marvel for that matter too. So um, feel free to put in any requests too for uh, episodes you'd like to see. I know, uh, shout out to Damian Garcia. He put in a request for an episode on Kingdom Hearts, so that is definitely in the works. And if you have an idea for an episode, tweet at me, let me know what you want a future episode of Geek Explain to be about, and you just might see it as an episode on this podcast. I will see you next week for the episode on Mysterio. Again, thank you so much for voting in the polls. I really appreciated everyone uh, coming out and participating look forward to doing some more polls in the future so for geeksplain this is eric azana thank you so much for listening and we will see you next time